0: Hello, this is Mr Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where... For the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus
1: Hello and welcome to GCSE English Revision Pod Hello Um, We are here today with myself Mr Forster and Uh Mr Galley um, and we're looking at power and conflict, and it's actually our eighth power and conflict episode. So, we're nearly at the end of the poems; so we've you know, almost worked our way through. We have two to go, which we're going to look at on Friday, which are the emigre and um, checking out my history. So, this is the penultimate, the power, penultimate and conflict episode. power and conflict episode. I couldn't be more excited. I, I, I maybe, you yeah, know, there's things I'm more excited about, but I, I think this, this is one of them. So, can you introduce the question for us, Mr. Galley?
0: Absolutely. so... Looking at one of our remaining poems, uh, we are going to explore Remains today. And I was thinking about one of the the strongest themes that comes across in Remains, and I thought it had to be Regret, the power of regret in Remains, and one other poem, of course, from the Power and Conflict anthology. Um, Thinking, therefore, about those two, I thought the best one to link it to, or at least an interesting one to link it to, maybe not the best one, there sometimes isn't necessarily a right answer there are wrong answers there certainly are wrong answers but an interesting one to link it to i thought would be war photographer
1: yeah so the exact question just to to, to, at this point you can download the handout from the bio of the episode right now so if you click on details Mm -hmm. if you're listening on itunes or on spotify um there'll be a link to um our google documents go and
0: download that handout right now and while you're at it add us on twitter
1: yep um at g revision pod uh, and you can follow your follow. Whenever we time up to the, upload a new episode, um, you'll be able to follow us. We on will that.
0: update you on there absolutely. And of course, you can also contact us at our email address, which is
1: um, EnglishRevisionPod at Gmail
0: Great, get in touch. Let us know. Go and download the handout right now if you haven't already. Even if you're sitting on the bus or whatever, pause the podcast. Go and download the handout Get and up have it on your, your on your screen yeah. while you're listening. Absolutely. Yeah. So the exact question is, compare the way the poets
1: present regret in Remains and one of the poem from Power and Conflict.
0: Yeah, you said that much more concisely than I did. I didn't need to waffle for about a minute about that, did I? What I was doing, students, was modelling... ...how terrible it is when you waffle in your essays. Mr Forster's come in there and he's showing you the power of a nice, concise so, um, question.
1: Why don't you start with a comparative thesis? Because every essay that we write on... Uh, in fact, any essay we write for English literature... ...I like an introduction to be an overview of my arguments. Yeah. Um, my thesis... And I think, obviously, for this essay, where in AO1 there is that comparative element, um, you've got to make comparison at the core of your essay. So um, what is your thesis that compares Remains and War Photographer?
0: So I thought there were two very different types of regret. What the, rem- the regret in Remains is fairly explicit in the sense that it's the regret felt by an individual at the terrible, harmful things he's done during a conflict, right? It's not a specific war, but the things he's done during the conflict are filling him with regret and a guilt he can't escape from. It's by, not just
1: guilt. I, I I'd say go beyond that, it's, it's PTSD, it's post-traumatic stress yeah. Haunting disorder.
0: him and leading he's... to drink and drug abuse and other things. War photographer, by way of contrast, what you've got is the kind of regret at the uselessness of what he does. He takes these photos and I think he feels a sense that they don't do anything on both a both a very small level and a very big level because on the individual level, he feels that He's not really helping these people kind of on a personal level. They, the people still die and all he does is he gets the photo. But then there's an extra level of regret that these photos don't seem to have the impact he wants them to oh, have. They, they, they to have the impact,
1: anything. but it's transitory. It's ephemeral. It's it's short-lived. It, it doesn't last.
0: Okay, good. We had those. Those are some key words from a, another podcast coming up there. So, excellent. Go back and listen to that one as well. And I think what you've got there then is quite an interesting study of different types of regret. One where somebody has arguably done something terribly wrong and feels the regret of their action. And another one where someone regrets that their actions don't have more power, don't have the ability to actually change things. Yeah, so should we
1: talk about our first paragraph then? Where where are we going to start off? What's our first um, comparison?
0: Right, so the first paragraph I have gone for will start with a topic sentence that goes something like this. Both poems explore how the feeling of regret haunts the speaker after the conflict. So I thought we'd go with this idea that the regret, it's not just a normal form of regret. It actually kind of stalks and haunts them and they are unable to escape from the things they've seen and the things they've done. Mm. Does that make sense to you, sir? Yeah. So, I mean,
1: let's start by talking about remains then.
0: Yeah, let's look at what we could analyse in remains. So, one line that I thought was particularly powerful was, end of story, except not really. Now, you've got a lovely caesura in this line. Remember cesura being when a line has a, a pause in the middle of it, marked by punctuation. So, you've got end of story, comma, except not really. So, I think what you, this shows is the cesura represents the idea that events like these They cannot just be left in the past. The fact that you have that pause in the middle of the line after end of story and then it goes on except not really. What you kind of get there is the sense that when you've done something terrible like this, you cannot just leave it behind you. It's not the end of the story. What well, it, you've it, done is going to follow you on. It subverts
1: actually a, a subvert meaning a word that undermines. Yeah. It undermines goes a, against. Or it
0: goes against
1: um, the very notion of life as a story because this is perhaps one of the most common metaphors we say about life—the idea of the story of our lives. Yeah. And of course, the difference between films or novels and our lives is that 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 something like this that, that we do not ride off into the sun. There is no end to this. We live no. on. What is an ending? So so by by carrying on uh, end of story except not really um, he's engaging with the reality of conflict that actually yeah. soldiers who live through traumatising events cannot overcome them and, and in some cases yeah. PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder can take over their lives
0: absolutely and then I think there's another line that builds into that same kind of concept and it's this idea of then I'm at home on leave so leave is when a soldier obviously is is no longer or is on a holiday basically from service then I'm home on leave but I blink And you've got a lack of a full stop at the end of this uh, stanza of the poem, right? You've got a lack of a full stop here. And it suggests this idea that when he blinks, he will be forever haunted by what he's done. And if you think about it, blinking is such a common action. We blink all the time. I've just seen seen you do it twice, sir. You go, you blink so often. And it's right there in front of your eyes. And doing something so simple as blinking brings back these horrible visceral images of what he's done.
1: And they're behind his... There's that brilliant metaphor, I don't if you will talk about it later on, but he talks about how um, these
0: memories are dug in behind enemy lines. Absolutely, and something so simple as blinking, that blink that doesn't have a full stop after it, that blink that instead opens up this horrible reminder of everything that he's done and it comes flooding back to him. And I think the idea of of blinking is interesting because it's so close to you it's something that you can't escape from it's something that you can't run from and it has the power to bring back all these terrible reminders which still. are haunting
1: which are, are dug in and just to explain the metaphor I mentioned there the idea, mm. the idea of these memories being dug in behind enemy lines the enemy lines and this, uh, this is a metaphor obviously taken from the battlefield where the lines is where the trenches presumably that soldiers will be fighting from so mm. to be dug in behind enemy lines is the suggestion that someone has that there is an enemy in your own camp right. so the idea that here that even behind his eyes behind his own blink is 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 the enemy the, the enemy that he's been fighting he's not he's unable to escape them because they they're part of his own consciousness
0: he they're, yeah they're closer than his own his own senses in a way um, would you want to talk a bit about the title of the poem yeah, and how so, we could use so that this engages with the how he's haunted by regret
1: in the sense that he's haunted both um, by what remains of his memory the memory you know what uh, but also what the, the, the literal remains that he saw, because, of course, we've not quite mentioned what literally happens in the poem, which is, um, you know, there is an instant of looting in mm. a conflict zone, presumably Iraq or Afghanistan, and he shoots them. Yeah. Um, and he's unsure if they're armed, possibly armed, possibly not. Um, and their bloody remains remain in his head. So it's a, it's a pun, a, a play on mm-hmm. words, that comes that, that encapsulates how he is haunted by both the, the visceral bloody image that he's seen um, of the human remains and how this is something that has remained inside him.
0: Yeah, it's one of those great examples where you can analyse both meanings of the word and really work with that. And I think those three really give you a good thing to go on and you're absolutely right to bring out what happens in the poem and it's interesting that you talk about those two conflicts because in a sense it's a good contextual point that students could bring in is that those are conflicts where a lot of people disagreed with the motives behind them, so in a sense, them shooting this looter, this one action of shooting someone who perhaps didn't deserve to be killed, could be emblematic of the wider conflict that many people believe shouldn't have been a you know, shouldn't have been a conflict in the Wider first place. Regret.
1: But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's go on to yep. war photographer.
0: Okay, so that was a that was a contextual point that yeah, perhaps should come in later. Really, so, I
1: think the comparison is, of course, in war photographer, we likewise have a speaker who is haunted by things they've seen. Yeah, it's not perhaps quite the post traumatic stress disorder of remains, but right. it's someone who is unable to escape them. And we have the, the kind of literally, we have the photographs that come to symbolise this. Mm. They are described metaphorically in line two as spools of suffering. Out ordered Rose, as if the photographs themselves Have metaphorically become the suffering That he has seen He's and, unable
0: to escape them And we've got this nice line when he says um, Which did not tremble then Though seem to now Now you've got enjambment in this line Meaning it runs over two lines And kind of separates It's his hands that's trembling Let's, let's make sure that the students are mentioned this Exactly, thing. sorry the, the fact that his hands are trembling They didn't tremble then Presumably when he was full of adrenaline And in the excitement and chaos of the battle zone. But now when he's left alone, the hands tremble. So it suggests that both physically and mentally the events of the war have followed him onwards. Almost like you said about before, that idea of post-traumatic stress disorder, that the things that he has seen in the battle have followed him home. Yeah. And I think and, if you, and it, you know, this, I think
1: it's really important to emphasize that this is a physical response, which did not tremble then, though seem to now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got this idea of the man who he saw die, who is described as a half-formed ghost. So the man who he took a photo of while he was dying. Is described as this half-formed ghost.
1: Yeah, I think, and when we're analysing this metaphor, it's a technique we've done a few times now. It's really important to start with literally mm-hmm. and then symbolically what the metaphor is engaging with, because of okay. course. Literally, it's, this is this metaphor of the man as a half-formed ghost is referring to the process of developing a photograph. So, of course, we mentioned before in a previous podcast, War Photographer is all about um, a photographer with old-fashioned film rather than a digital camera developing um, their photographs, presumably in, I think, it's silver nitrate solution, but I'm mm-hmm. not a physics teacher. Don't, don't quote me on that or chemistry. I don't even know I which am. it is. I won't um, be you yeah. <laughs> on But, uh, but uh, um, with old-fashioned photographic film, um, it, you put it in the solution and then you hang it out to dry, and the photograph slowly appears. So uh, the first meaning, therefore, is he's a ghost
0: on the page. He's so, becoming I mean, a yeah, ghost on a the page. A literal
1: description of the visual image of the photograph, the the the, the negative developing into a photograph yeah, in front all, of
0: his eyes. All students would have to do is go on YouTube and type in "photos developing," and they'd get a, a very good impression of what yeah. that means. But it's the metaphorical ghost that I think is more interesting here. When you say, "Yeah," because of
1: course, literally, the man the man he may have photographed may in fact now be a He's he's a war photographer, you know, taking photos in a war zone, mm. um, and it's also perhaps even the third meaning is that it's a ghost in his memory. This man, because whether or not this man has died, he is now haunting him, just like um, the man who blinks in remains and yeah. cannot escape his memories. So too, as the photos develop in Carol Duffy's poem, the speaker cannot escape. What he's
0: seen. And that's what I think... Oh, sorry, sir. That's what I think really binds that paragraph together is the idea of them both being haunted, right? Both being followed home from the conflict itself by something they regret.
1: And, of course, a ghost in particular is something that haunts you, that stays with you. I think that's Duffy's deliberate metaphor to highlight the the way in which conflict can
0: follow you around. You can be unable to escape it. Absolutely. Now, that leads us neatly, or not so neatly, but we're going to go there anyway, perhaps into our second paragraph, which... I think it would be nice to talk about the idea of visceral description of death to highlight the nature of regret. We've got... um Colleagues attempting to derail the podcast as we speak, uh, looking looking into the recording studio, but we will we will push on and persevere. Um, so both poems use visceral descriptions of death to highlight the nature of regret. Would you? I know this is my word, but I'm going to make you explain it anyway. What would you say visceral means? So
1: vis- visceral is an adjective. Um, your viscera <laughs> are your inside. So if I was to cut Mister Galley open right now, we would see his viscera. Um, but I'm not planning to do that, of course. Um, never no. fear for And I realise
0: now we talked about that before. So that's good. This is, this is stuff starting to come around again. I see that as a good sign. We're honing in on the important ideas about these plans. So in both of them I start off with a comparison and say both of them use visceral descriptions of death to highlight the nature of regret however I then split it a little bit and I say in War Photographer this is regret of what couldn't be prevented couldn't be stopped while in Remains it is regret of what the speaker actually did so you've got a key difference here which if you look at the handout I hope I've got across in the topic sentence between the idea that while they're both using visceral imagery one is something that the subject of the poem could not stop the other is what the speaker actually did. Yeah, so it's a a different kind of regret. Absolutely. So
1: so if we look at Remains, we could look at the the brutality of the description of him shooting the looters. He says, I see every round
0: as it rips through his life. Right, and you've got this alliteration here, haven't you? You've got this sound of this rounds ripping, almost, I think, like... Onomatopoeically. Yeah, like a bitter, tearing sound, almost as if you can hear it happening. And I think... Rip the- is a very unusual verb
1: here, I think, mm.
0: that's because that's obviously rip, rip is, a, is a word that is connected
1: normally with ripping paper. So a bit like tissue, in fact, this seems to reduce human flesh to something as fragile as paper, something that can be ripped, something that can be brutally pulled apart.
0: So you spent all that time talking about how you don't like tissue <laughs> and now you're, now you're doing callbacks to other podcasts. Um Yeah, absolutely. I I fully agree. And in this idea of the soldier seeing every round, there's an awful lot you can do with that quotation. The idea that he sees every round ripping through him, he experiences that moment in all its horribleness. Do you know what I mean? He goes back and he doesn't just experience... A glimpse of it, he sees every last detail of that moment. And and then, and then this is kind of um, followed up, but then he goes on to say how
1: one of my mates goes by and tosses his guts back into his body. It's so horrible, that bit, isn't it? What does that sound like well, to you? There's a real juxtaposition here between registers. And by register, I mean levels of formality. Right, how so, formal this. is. So speeches. one of my mates go by, that's how my year 11's talk. One of my mates go by and... Uh... I did something Whether your lungs do um, I'm very out of touch <laughs> it's a brilliant uh, example <laughs> uh, uh, but the juxtaposition between one of my mates and tosses his guts back into his body mm-hmm. it suggests that the dead man is treated as something like rubbish something yeah. that is simply
0: to be um, carted off in the back of a lorry. well exactly further compounded by that quote that he's carted off in the back of the lorry so it's the terrible nature of what the soldier did. And also, a bit of a stretch and challenge thing, that there was somehow when he did it, there was an element of normality to it. That they killed this man. But at the time it wasn't shocking. It was something as everyday as carting off rubbish. But it's when he gets home from the conflict that he regrets it. that's when it he really transformed comes to feel it in all its terrible reality, and, I suppose. And, and
1: see the visceral reality of what, what what he experienced.
0: And actually in war photographer there's a very very similar image which is where in the line and how blood stained into foreign dust now literally here you've got the image of the man's blood seeping into the ground that's very literally what's happening the blood is staining the ground and you're getting the horror of his death i think interestingly there's also this really bitter tone here from the war photographer with the idea of it being foreign dust and i think what duffy might be trying to get across is this kind of critical point as if like the people who see the photos because it's foreign dust it's somehow less important to the people at home that people think oh that's terrible but it's happening in another place so therefore yeah. it doesn't really affect uh, them uh, in the same way and this is compounded by the fact that at the end of the
1: poem um, the regrets that he seems is that the, the, all the pictures he takes all of the agony that he finds yeah. only if you'll be pit so he says um, he says of the hundred agonies in black and white Which his editor will pick five or
0: six. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's horrible, isn't it? First of all, I mean the metaphorical description
1: of the photographs as a hundred agonies, like the ideas of spools of suffering. Yeah, um, uh, sets up. This connection between um, the pain of the people dying, of what the the, the people dying would, would have been feeling, but also the idea that these these photographs somehow encapsulate that pain, somehow yeah. sum up what he's seen, and, and it this shows is juxtaposed you the scale of yeah it, right, and this is juxtaposed of course with the fact that with this quite cynical worldview of an editor picking purely which will have the most emotive impact, five or six yeah. to go, um, which he says um, will go for Sunday's supplement.
0: So the editor's not thinking, oh my god, this is terrible. Look at all these awful things going on. Well it's and not even the front page. The like, Sunday supplement to a newspaper
1: is like a magazine that's attached mm. to a newspaper at the weekend for interest. Yeah. The, the suggestion is this is not even news. It's really detached this is from the an interest piece. Right. Um that people might want to see. It's a suggestion that and also that even the word supplement, the idea that this is supplementary to our lives. We are not really affected by this. Mm. Um in fact that we're not regretting what's going on in other parts of the world because we're disconnected from it. So um we see his, his kind of regret here, um both in the visceral description but also in kind of the, the lack of impact.
0: Yeah. I, I think fully this agree. leads us on to our final point really. Yeah, I think it does. And I think what I've what I've gone for here is more it's that thing that's a bit of a risk to do, but I think it works in this sense because what I've done is I've actually linked them together by a language point so what i've said here is both poems use the aspect of voice to show the link between responsibility and regret okay not always something i'd recommend doing but sometimes i think it works because here such a key difference is the difference between the first person voice and the third person voice
1: yeah so in remains is written in the first person it's a deeply personal poem Mm -hmm. about guilt and regret, particularly in the parenthetical details, that means like an aside that's almost like it's in brackets. A little
0: extra bit in the sentence,
1: like he's talking specifically
0: to you. Probably
1: armed, possibly not. Yeah. Um, uh, And the repetition shows there's the sense of convincing himself that he's
0: haunted by this. There's perhaps the sense of death is perhaps senseless. Yeah, he's troubled by that, isn't he? The fact that he says that twice, you can tell that that's going round his mind again and again and again. We get that through the first person narration and the repetition, the idea that he's Haunted by this idea, was he armed? I mean, possibly he was not armed and therefore we didn't need to kill him. Um, Then you get through the first person narration, you also get a lot of these possessive adjectives, right? So he's here in my head when I close my eyes. Through that repetition, I think you get a really good sense of the inescapability of regret. The guilt and the regret, He go, it goes everywhere with the speaker. He's here in my head when I close my eyes. The regret is a very, very personal thing based on what he as an individual has done. So much so that even the drink and the drugs will not flush him out.
1: Yeah, and perhaps the most powerful one is how the poem ends. His, his, his bloody life in my bloody hands... Mm-hmm. Um, And we have uh, The the repetition of course Of of, of bloody here But it is interesting Because of the visceral nature Of the imagery Right On the one hand It's actually the blood right Yeah But also This is an allusion to Macbeth so an allusion is a reference to another story and one of the crucial motifs, that's a repeated pattern in Macbeth, is the idea of b- having blood on your hands. Yeah. Macbeth, when he murders King Duncan, if you don't know sh- this, this play by Shakespeare, you don't study it, um, he he Spoiler washes it, he washes his hands after he's killed the king to get rid of the blood and he fears that he won't be able to wash it off. Lady Macbeth, when she, his wife, when she goes mad, she imagines that she's washing her hands to get the blood off her hands. The idea that blood in Macbeth becomes Becomes symbolic of guilt, so this allusion to Macbeth mm-hmm. um, here his body life my bloody hands encapsulates the way in which um, he is not only literally stained with the blood of the man he killed from shoving this body into the back of a lorry he's also like Lady Macbeth like Macbeth um his hands are metaphorically stained with blood, which is connoting his his guilt,
0: yeah, and another Another meaning of it, of course, could be bloody, as in like the swear word, like he's looking at his hands, like, like these are bloody hands, as in he's somehow angry with his hands as the things that committed the deed. Yeah. I think that's another quite nice way of looking at it. In war photographer, then, this podcast has going on for a long time. I think we're both a bit just tired and slow today, aren't we? But never mind, because people always say we talk too fast, so maybe this, is, maybe this is better. Anyway, in war photographer, I think then, obviously, the third person removes us from the subject of the poem the war photographer is being described rather than speaking himself in the poem and i think here that opens up chances for second person pronouns like in the line he earns his living and they do not care so what you've got there is this idea of the second person pronoun doesn't give the photographer an identity and again maybe well, what is showing sorry yeah. third person yeah sorry yeah. long day <laughs> um the um the the pronoun here creating this sense that he cannot affect things, that he yeah. doesn't have this identity, he cannot affect change, he cannot make things different, right? And the and they is
1: presumably not only the readers of his newspaper, but also us. Right. That's the thing. So it's a pronoun that, c- that contains within it the the people of the UK who read these Sunday supplements. It's, it's me on a Sunday. And they
0: don't do anything about
1: it. And, um, and I think we might want to kind of tie, tie in here that actually of course the reader's eyeballs prick with tears between the bath and pre-lunch beers the, again in, in the voice here in, in, in the third we, it, Karen Duffy does not simply focus on the photographer she focuses on us yeah. she focuses on the people that will read this newspaper so the regret therefore that she is this is clearly a poem that's trying to evoke regretting us that yeah. we are perhaps not more affected. That, like the readers in the poem, we might cry when we see an emotive image. I certainly did. myself I saw that awful picture of that that migrant that boy washing up on the beach, that mm. the child picture. That made me cry when I saw it. But the truth is did it fundamentally change my life? Did, did I do go on anything? Protest? Did, did I go on a protest? Did you write to your MP? And the yeah. Yeah. Of the and we're, we're all guilty of that. I don't know
0: I'm directly <laughs> accusing yeah. you. you send
1: hate mail <laughs> to Mr. Yeah. for not changing
0: the world. <laughs> no, but it's, it's that, isn't it? It's that it, it? It is easy to look at an image and cry and feel emotional and all those kind of things. How many of us then follow that up with genuine action is what the poem is challenging us I think right that pretty much brings us to the end I suppose I think it's
1: about the end of the world with how long we've gone on for today I
0: know I feel like we've rambled on and we've really not been particularly entertaining so I do apologise I promise
1: Friday will be better yeah it's
0: the first week back after half term exactly it was Um, parents evening last night deal with it (laughs) exactly to get yourselves the handout where we talk more about the context and the key vocabulary make sure that you have got that as a revision resource and we will see you again on Friday
1: Yeah, and we'll do the emigrate and checking out the history and we will
0: finally have finished power and conflict poetry huzzah amazing have a lovely few days